This is the Rogue Philosopher. This episode that I'm going to attempt to do is part two of the episodes that have to do with the show Russian Doll on YouTube. The show Russian Doll on YouTube. We'll call this part two, maybe we'll call it segment one to make things a little more confusing. Because uh, I don't know, I'm going to have to maybe shut this off and resume. I might only have a few minutes to start, depending on what's going on. We're talking about the show Russian Doll, and in a very succinct summation, the arc, and they call that the, the character arc, uh, in Russian Doll, suggests some things that I don't think pan out in the end. It's a great show, it's funny, it's a black comedy, but my question is about the conversion of Nadia. Nadia is the pr- protagonist. Um, her character is drawn such that it's a it's a satirical drama, and she's she's very much uh, uh, a millennial. Uh, sort of personifies the attitude in in New York, the upper upper class tech types, uh, the the super intelligent IT type people. Her character is drawn in such a way that. Uh, she starts out at one end of the human continuum where she's very shallow, self-centered, cold, manipulative, angry, etc. And by the time the drama ends, she has had a 180 degree reversal. She's like, it's like the conversion of Scrooge or something, or the, the, the conversion of the slave captain who wrote Amazing Grace after he realized slavery was wrong. Um, it's a black comedy, and it's quite funny, basically, in a nutshell... Nadia has, is going to a friend of hers, her apartment, a big apartment in New York, to celebrate her 36th birthday. At some point later in the evening, she's crossing the street to try to find her cat and gets splattered by a car and dies. That's how she learns she's trapped in a time loop where she has to relive her 36th birthday over and over and over again. And each time... The day ends the same way, with her being splattered, killed, sliced up, blown up, electrocuted, you know, whatever, shot, you name it, fever, you know, you name it, and keeps recycling through the time loop over and over again. It's not a time loop that suggests any sort of a animation to the universe. In other words, she's not being punished by God. She's not being beaten on because she's not nice. She isn't very nice, but it's a random occurrence. There is a theory in physics, and I've, I've looked it up, but I barely understand it. Uh, but they equate it to a billiard ball hitting another billiard ball, and hitting it in such a way that it's the source of its own revolutions through this time loop. Uh, and each time the billiard balls crash together, it knocks it through the time loop from a slightly different trajectory. But after a while, the time loop, like an eddy or a whirlpool, will eventually empty itself out or run its revolution. At a certain point, every possibility is going to be satisfied. Every angle that that billiard ball could hit the other billiard ball, knocking it backwards in time, eventually the, the two will collide in such a way that the time loop dissolves and the other billiard ball is knocked through time forwards once again. I barely understand the math. I'm not a physicist, but, but what I am is a, is a philosopher, and I understand dramatic principles. Now, how does this affect 
the characters in the show Russian Doll. The way they behave towards one another influences their choices. You know, and that this is something that one can speculate on endlessly. Why do we go left when we should go right? Or we went upstairs instead of downstairs. So there's a million, myriad uh, different choices that we could make, each one leading in a concatenation of events to a specific outcome. The way these characters treat one another is, metaphorically speaking, the force applied to the billiard ball that continues to knock it through the time loop in its revolution, backwards in time, and trapping it in the, in the repeated time loop, like at the edge of the black hole or what have you. So, Nadia finds herself trapped in her 36th birthday to relive it over and over again. She keeps coming back to the same instant in time in the bathroom at her friend's house, the, the weird blue thingamawatsit, uh, it signifies something is amiss in the world. It's like a, like the blue lattice or the when they talk about the DMT trips where you see like a, a lozenge or whatever before you go into the DMT world. She keeps seeing this thing over the door, but it doesn't interfere with her passage through the door. She walks outside and just the same thing over and over and over again. Um, now these events are... are choreographed to demonstrate to us that she's not a very nice person. She's extremely intelligent. Uh, it's almost as if, if New York could be personified. She's the personification of the soul of New York. Very aggressive, very direct, very self-centered, unkind, aggressive, uh, highly intelligent, of course, uh, the most intelligent of all, very, very sexual. Uh, her birthday, she's 36. She's very hedonistic. Um, she appears to love her cat. She seems to appreciate her friends, but not very much, takes some kind of for granted, mistreats them all, every single one, in one way or another. Uh, she believes for a long time in the series that she is alone in this entrapment and tries a number of different solutions. She tries the religious, it doesn't work. She tries uh, making different choices, starting to behave differently instead of being mean, she tries to be nice, to try to change that trajectory. She figures out very swiftly that she's trapped in something that is affected by her behaviors and her choices, by the way she interacts with other people. But there's a problem because she's entrapped with Alan. Now, the, the drama wants us to understand that there is no judging God. But as though there were a judging God... The way to escape the time loop is kindness. That the kindness and the altruism has such an effect that it changes the trajectory of the time loop. But still, it's a very, it's a very complicated trajectory. And it isn't just being nice to just anybody at just any time that is going to do it. She has to be nice to the right people at the right time uh, with the right set of events. Now... I think the story wants us to believe that it is the choice to be altruistic that defeats the time loop, that the key to escape it is altruism. Now, as they're trapped in this time loop, they're going round and round in circles. She notices almost at once. But each time she goes through the time loop, something else disappears. 
They're little things. They're hard to see at first. But as she continues to progress, going through it hundreds and hundreds of times, it's more and more empty each and every time. All her friends begin disappearing. Stuff in her physical universe begins to disappear. She intuits that if everything disappears in her time loops, Eddie, then that'll be the end of her. It'll collapse and it'll wipe her out as well. And it, it's she who notices also that the progression of time for inanimate objects has not ceased. It's true, she's repeating the same events, the same people are saying the same things to her over and over again. Happy birthday, baby, right, whatever. Maxine is always the same every time. The physical objects aren't. There's a bowl of fruit. And as, as the drama progresses, she notices very rapidly that the fruit are rotting. Time is passing somewhere, just not for her not where she is, and not for living forms, more for, for inanimate. But the living ones disappear one by one by one by one. Now, the show wants us to try to grasp the, and to believe the, the idea that it's kindness that will liberate them both from the time loop. Alan and Nadia can't save themselves, however. Nadia has to save Alan, and Alan has to interfere such that, that Nadia is, is on her part of the continuum, is most benefited. But I don't think so. Again, this is summary mode. I'll try to go into greater depth. I may miss a few things here and there. But even though there's no judging God, there is talk of, of Hasidism and Kabbalistic mysticism. Uh, for the Kabbalah, uh, as for many world religions, or Buddhism even, but for Kabbalah in, in a particularly Western way, the idea is that one can be altruistic and kind to one's neighbors, uh, strangers, friends, lovers, whoever. If you're kind to them, it's in alignment with, with the will of a higher power, with the will of a loving God. And if you perform these actions, it will clear the way for a benevolent God to act upon the universe in a benevolent way. Even though Nadia figures out she's not being punished for being shallow and mean and, and, and uh, superficial uh, and aggressive, it's not a punishment at all. And, and she's able to disprove it because Alan also believes he's being punished for something that he's done. Is he a cruel man? Is he a bad man? Um, it takes her a while to dissuade him of this, but... At a certain point, she does, but uh, the, the, the drama wants us to accept at the very end that it is the kindness of Nadia to Alan and to everyone else around her that is the key towards freeing them both from their time loop, but, but only if Alan does exactly what he's supposed to do on his end, and it looks to be an act of kindness as well. He has to protect Nadia from, from uh, sleeping with Mike. Uh, Mike is on her way to go screw Alan's fiance and of course ex uh, and of course Mike wants to have a good time with Nadia and, and the first time around the time loop they have, they whatever she's not impressed by him uh, and everybody in the drama everyone, maybe except for the homeless guy but even in a way him too, everyone is trapped in the beginning of it on a self-absorbed trajectory where they're 
entirely obsessed with themselves and their own problems and their own situations, some of which are, are worthy of a great deal of care because they're painful situations. But Alan and Nadia begin to figure out together, bouncing off one another's interpretations and actions, that it's kindness that can free them. Now, first of all, I have a problem with this because the, 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 it's, it's a great show. I do. I love it. It's funny. The problem I have with this is with Alan and Nadia. First of all, Alan's not a nice guy. Alan is a timid guy. He is not gentle. He's afraid to engage. There's a gigantic difference. It may look a lot like you know, oh, this poor nice guy, his fiance's leaving him, and he's always so nice, and he's always so deferential, and he's, no, he's, he's inept. He's inept and, and um, unassertive. Even though Alan is going to behave in a way that appears altruistic and kind, he does not change from the beginning to it to the end. He thinks he's a nice guy. He isn't. He's an inassertive uh, beta male. Now, he looks incredible. He lifts weights every day. He's all rah, rah, rah. But he's inept and incompetent. And in the end, his fiance is leaving him because of, of his unwillingness to be more self-confident. And Alan, of course, doesn't see himself as lacking confidence. He sees himself as, as being a nice guy, being stepped on by the universe. And he's not. He's not. It, it, in order for him to alter the trajectory from his end of things, it's not kindness that will save Alan. It's being assertive that will save Alan. And it looks, and, and it, it seems to be from Nadia's perspective and from us as we watch the show, that he's being kinder to be assertive. He's letting the woman he loves go. He's... he's He's taking his hands off certain things that he tried to fight for, and he's fighting for others, but that's from a, from a, a central axis of kindness, and it's not. Now, Nadia, the more gentle she appears to be, the more sympathetic and warm and affectionate, uh, the more she speaks to increase her friend's well-being or to agree with them, or to return their affection. This con seems to continue to improve her circumstances each time she goes around, but she still dies at the end of each time. Now, in the end, she has to behave in a manner that appears altruistic with regard to Alan. But it is not kindness or altruism that, that will change the trajectory of the time loop that Nadia is trapped in. It's a simple negation of her f former actions. It's a simple reversal of her previous actions that changes the trajectory. It is not a requirement in any way for Nadia to become a nicer person. But at the end of the drama, that's what we're left with. We're left with Nadia behaving... It's like a conversion. And my, my first thought when I watched the last episode of the show was, well, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Scrooge, he's a Christmas humbug. He's a He's a... He's a stingy, cruel, overly obsessed with his wealth. But Dickens, the way we often interpret Dickens, is that it's because Scrooge hates Christmas that he's a bad man. 
has nothing to do with his hatred of Christmas. It has to do with his unwillingness to share his wealth with his fellow human beings. It has nothing, even though they, they keep saying Christmas humbug, Christmas humbug, hate Christmas, that's not what is making Scrooge incur wrath from these three spirits, although they, they, they continue to obsess about his behavior on Christmases, how when he was young he had the wonder and the joy of Christmas, got older and he lost that, he lost that childish playfulness, he lost his warmth, his kindness, you know, and poor Bobby Cratchit or whatever his name is, the little boy is going to die uh, because Scrooge isn't being charitable on Christmas. No, that's not. But still, there's a, there's a religious conversion experience of Scrooge at the end from fear because Scrooge doesn't want to be buried and forgotten and go to hell or whatever, and so he has a Christian repentance. Nadia's trajectory, as indicated by her actions at the end of Russian Doll, at the end of episode 8, suggests a similar arc. Okay? But, again, there, there's a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of balls are in play, so to speak. And the idea that Nadia is not a kind person is it is it it's a red herring, but the way the drama's written, she is more kindly at the end and cares for her friends and is more affectionate and warmer and supportive and and all these things. But I only think that because well she's died about two thousand times, uh, and is petrified of of being trapped in there forever. She'd be trapped in an empty time loop with nothing, no matter. And the final disillusion would be her. In the same way that Alan isn't having to be kind to fulfill himself to get out of the time loop, he has to be assertive. Nadia has to behave more kindly only because it's in opposition to her former attitude and changes the trajectory of the people around her by altering their choices. If a person feels good about themselves, they're going to do things differently than if they feel rotten about themselves. They're going to maybe open themselves up to new experiences and, and, and travel a different road. Or they'll, they'll have a different routine. It'll, it'll knock them out of their, their, uh, their routinized responses to things. And at the end, we're supposed to come away feeling warm and fuzzy. And, well, Nadia is kind and she's sweet. And Alan is also loving and, and fully mature in his love. No, Alan's more assertive, it's true. And he has to, to be more assertive to escape the time loop. And Nadia escapes the time loop by being more kind. Um, but it's not because she is. I don't believe that. At the end, we're supposed to buy that she is, but I don't, I don't buy it, because she figured out very quickly. She's extremely intelligent. She's a game designer. She understood very quickly that whatever this time loop was, it was a lot like when she programmed a game and was trying to work out the glitches in the game when she's being a game tester for her, her software, for her code. It's just writing code. You have to try every option that the character has. And most of them, you die, but in the one correct set of actions, your character lives and you go on to the next level. You get off of this level. Now, that's all that it is. That's all that it is. Because there's no evidence of her being singled out and targeted by an angry god who's punishing her for, for not being godly. Uh, although that's what Alan believes for a long time. Now, in the end... Alan's lack of assertiveness is what leads him to his first death. 
he commits suicide. Alan is, is crushed by the loss of his fiancée, and he, he stops believing in himself, and in the end, he jumps off a building to his death, splat. And he's died so many times, he had forgotten that until Nadia forced him to remember it. She pushed him and forced him to, to reconstruct it. So, a big piece of Nadia's escape from the time loop is to prevent Alan from committing suicide. She has to protect him from his worst, his depression, from his drunkenness, from his anguish. She has to shelter him and protect him from himself. And she has to be a good friend, a nurturing friend to him in order to enact that, that role. And yes, at the end, there, there are actions that, under normal circumstances, believe you to assume that she does have feelings for her friend now. She's come to love Alan in a, in a way, a platonic way. Uh, and she gives it her all to stop him from jumping off that building to his death. And she's crying for him. All of that, to me, is explicable by fear of being trapped in the endless time loop. It's desperation. Nadia is merely working against her former actions. She's not necessarily having to come from a place of, of kindness. Although there might be a slight change in some of her knee-jerk responses on one level, it's not because she's having an internal revolution alteration of character, like a religious conversion, like Scrooge. She's not experienced a redemption. And I think the, the drama wants us to believe that, that she has. But at every turn, it doesn't necessarily, her actions don't need to be motivated by kindness to still be effective, even though outwardly she's behaving in a kind way. Uh, for instance, when she has to be more embracing of, of her friend Lizzie and, and her wife and more supportive of their, of their relationship, whereas earlier on in the drama she's very flippant, uncaring. She has to be more affectionate to her friend Max. You know, uh, she has to be more open to her as another entity uh, and, and compassionate. And she has to, instead of always being focused on her own feelings, which... She has a very narrow range of feelings. She needs to be focused on theirs. Normally, we'd be led to think, if we understand what altruism actually is, well, nicer people listen. Nicer people who are more open or more kind, more compassionate, will behave in a way that's more nurturing of other people. It's, it's more indicative of, of the kindness behind the person committing the action. It may be. It may very well be, and it may even be possible to suggest that there are truly kind, altruistic people in the world who behave as such. And we generally trust people who aren't trying to hurt us, they're trying to protect us. We tend to think of them as good, because they're not behaving in a way that is directly antithetical to our well-being or to our survival. They're not cutting us down, they're not bullying us, they're not, there's a million myriad different ways. Okay, now, if I'm walking down the street and there's a, a big glass storefront next to me, gigantic glass panes, behind that glass pane there's, there's a gold bracelet that's worth $3,000, and I elect not to smash the glass like I want to and grab the bracelet and run and pawn it at the nearest shop because I want some money. So I elect not to steal it. All that means is I'm afraid of the law. 
it may be that I'm not a thief. But if I am, that act alone doesn't demonstrate that I am not. I've, I've refrained from stealing, so I deserve a reward. No. It just means that I've reversed the, the trajectory of what my ordinary instincts should be, that is, to steal. If I want to steal and I act against it, it changes my trajectory in the world. It changes the way others interact with me. It's theoretically possible to imagine a truly, totally, absolutely evil uh, person being very nice, being very uh, nurturing in a way that we approve of in society. But it doesn't mean he's good. It just means he's not acting He's not acting in accord with his true nature. So you might say, well, that does, it doesn't matter if the sociopath doesn't act on their sociopathic urges, shouldn't we, shouldn't we uh, reward that? Doesn't that mean they're a good person? They've acted against their natural instincts in a way we do all the time anyway. People are addicted to sugar, act against their cravings to eat more sugar or to take drugs or, you know, that, that doesn't mean that they're, that they're, they're good, honest people. It means from one reason or another, they behave as such. Maybe they hope for a reward. If they hope for a reward, then that's the deepest form of selfishness. You want to benefit yourself. You want God to come and, and give you something for your suffering because you've, you've acted against your nature. Now that would be permissible in Russian doll. If and only if Nadia was trapped in the time loop because of a, of a judging God. There is no judging God. And so even though she seems to have what might be considered a religious conversion, all it is is her relief at escaping from the time loop and the reversal of her actions, which altered the trajectory of everybody else around her. And they altered her trajectory by the way they acted. We save Alan, you don't die. Alan's still here, it's the next morning, you're, you're free, you've escaped the time loop. And I think there's, there's definitely, because it doesn't take that much effort for her to be nice to the homeless person, it takes her quite a bit of effort to keep Alan from, from suiciding. But not as much as one might, might imagine. It, it, the only thing she had to do, ultimately, to prevent him from, from jumping was to stand in his way on the roof so he couldn't get to the edge to jump and to listen to him. That was all. That was all he needed. He needed to know somebody else recognized him, what he was going through, the depression or the pain or whatever it was that he was going through. She was willing to play that role to escape the time loop. In a different character, maybe one would be permitted and, and forgiven for thinking that, oh wow, she's kind, she's had a trajectory, her arc has carried her. And the thing is, in a, in a really good drama, the, the, the greater the breadth of the arc of the character from the beginning to the end, the more moved we are by the drama. Well, how could that, how could that murderous hitman suddenly wake up in the morning and, and decide he's going to adopt starving children from Sudan and he's he's used to murdering and he, and, he, and instead he he is is holding this little baby and playing with a rattle or something with it and we're in the west we're trained 
to see, because of Christianity, we're trained to see these things as an honest and genuine act of contrition and uh, conversion, repentance. The problem is, it might be believable that Nadia's repentance changes her, her relation to a God that has targeted her for being bad. There is no God. It's, it's made clear to us near the end, but in a confusing manner, that the impersonal, uncaring universe didn't cast her into this time loop. It was a, just a coincidence. It meant nothing. It was a, a, a convergence of forces. There would have been other evidence if there had been a judging God. And in a, in a drama where there is a judging God, repentance is necessary. So he's not mad at you. She's trying to have it both ways. She's trying to say, well, Nadia converted from kindness and now is a loving being and she's open to the world in a universe without a loving or judging God. That doesn't work because there's no incentive for her to do it if there's no God. She would only need to perform the most minimal of actions that she needed to do to alter the trajectory of herself and of the other people around her to escape the time loop. Now, there might be some residual effects. But look, we're in, in the opening episodes, we're not shown a very redeemable, nice person. No likable quality whatsoever, except that she likes her cat. I mean, she is, she is mean to her friend who's hosting her birthday party. She's taking drugs left, right, and center. She screws this guy, just doesn't even know him. Just this university professor type, pseudo-alpha male type. I didn't think she enjoyed him because she <laughs> told Alan later on in the show that he was bad. He wasn't any fun. Um, but then he, she screws Alan too. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm in doubt that she had fun with him either uh, because he's lacking assertion. So he's overacting. It's kind of funny. It's, it, at one point when they're about to have sex and he's trying to act all manly and macho, it, it's, it's hysterical. It's so clear that he's not, that's not who he is. It's almost like the sex scene in Network. There's a really funny sex scene. The least sexy scene of any scene ever written is that sex scene in Network, Patty Chayefsky's Network. I think it came out in 1975. It's just ridiculously funny. Um, and that scene with Alan and Nadia reminded me of, of that scene from Network. But if, if there was no, no guiding hand at the tiller, and in Russian Doll there's not, it's true she has to act more kindly, more altruistically, and I've said it like 20 times, but I think I can, I can show it through other examples. Um, it changes the trajectory. Now, at one point, she kind of goes in uh, and, and just has fun destroying Beatrice, just absolutely love destroying Beatrice on Alan's behalf. You'd think, well, she's sticking up for her friend. He, Alan's being bullied by Beatrice. Beatrice is walking all over him, she's screwing another guy, blah, 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 blah. Except that one of the times that she's talking to Alan, it's fairly clear Beatrice isn't an evil woman. Not good either, because nobody in this show is. But she isn't evil, she just, their love is dead. There's no spark there. And the reason why there was no spark is because Alan failed to uphold his end of the bargain, right? Now, what was Alan's failing? He was not assertive enough. He went and bought her that ring, and he's all going through the motions and buying the ring, and he's dreaming about the million different ways he can propose his wedding to her. 
you know, but all the while he's doing this, he's avoiding, he's avoiding it. He is not self-confident. He is not assertive. And maybe one could argue, you, you know, well, well, she was kind of mean. He was so fragile. She should have been there for him. But Nadia wasn't very nice to Alan most of the time. And still, Nadia not being nice to him helped him, and he admits as much near the end, helped him wake up to being more assertive and less fearful. So Alan doesn't need to be more loving to escape the time loop, only more assertive. More assertive. And that's not because he necessarily is more. He might be. He's died a million times over. And Nadia might be, but I don't think suffering builds character. Um, if he uh, works against his previous action, the force that impels his actions is his lack of assertiveness. And for Nadia, it's only because the force that dominates Nadia's actions is self-centeredness, shallow, ego. She's like the spirit of New York. She's everything in the millennials that uh, all the old people bitch about. Uncaring, uh, flippant, you know, exceptionally intelligent. So she never has to really pay the piper for for her actions because she's too smart. Uh, But she's shallow. She's using people very obviously using them for her for her pleasure it's only because those actions are what dominate nadia's trajectory it just happens to be randomly okay well meanness is is her most uh projected affect then then kindness will reverse the trajectory by negating that affect okay let me Maybe another way I can try to put this. Let's say that um, hmm, it's hard. It's hard to think of another another example. Let's say you've got a character that uh, like a, is an oil magnate or something, just filthy rich, maybe like Scrooge. If he's trapped in this time loop, all he has to do is is sell when he normally would buy and donate. To different charities when normally he would hoard his money and he, he would hide it in offshore accounts. No, he gives it to the Ronald McDonald house or some damn thing, okay, to reverse the trajectory of the, of the forces that dominate his trajectory. He only needs to act in accord with that force which would most neutralize, it would most negate the force that's guiding his course. When Owen Scrooge literally did wake up and have a, a religious conversion, that's what Dickens wants us to come away with. But, you know, in 1865 or whenever he wrote that, the world was still a Christian world then, as it isn't any longer, but it still was then. And the three spirits, of course, past, Christmas past, Christmas present, and future, are, are obviously a manifestation of the Trinity, Christ, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um... His conversion is a genuinely religious conversion at the end. He truly does waken the next morning, dominated out of fear. But, you know, most people, you know, you might have a tendency to go to Jesus if you had a near-death experience where you burned in hell. Oh, no, I'd, I'd be in the church the next day. You, you bet I would. 
once if I'd had an experience such as that, an afterlife experience where I'm consumed by hellfire, you can bet if I wake up from that, the next thing I'm going to do is go right to the right to the damn church with my prayer book and my Bible, the whole shebang. You bet. And and so one can even argue that even Scrooge's conversion may not have been entirely honest or genuine. You know, but you have you have examples both in history and maybe even in our lives where we might know people who have these great revolutions of character. Uh, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace used to be a slave captain. Uh, and at a certain point, I don't know his story very well, but he believed that God moved him to understand how evil he had been and how, how wrong slavery was. And he became a leading abolitionist near the end of his life, and he helped England abolish the slave trade. And he probably did feel genuinely sorrowful for the wrongs that he'd done. Uh, he had empathy for the people that he'd transported and, and, and to their doom, to their death, whatever it was. There was probably a mixture of other emotions and motivations in there. Um, but let's, let's say for the sake of the structure of the argument that that was a genuine religious awakening, that he had a, a moment of, of uh, contrition, and he behaved as such, and, he, and it was real, and God is real, and God forgave him because he felt he was able to reject being an evil man because he felt that in spite of all this, he was loved by the ultimate good. The spirit of, of Christ is, is the ultimate good. And if even that being loves you and does not reject you for how wretched you are, how sinful you are, and it loves you, that would make it a lot easier. What negates love is fear. It's, it's fearfulness and, and greediness or what have you. All these things are somehow a manifestation of fear of our own well-being. Fear, that's what negates love. That's what negates compassion. That's what negates empathy. And the guy felt greater empathy once he realized he was forgiven and he was saved and he couldn't bear any longer to bring more suffering into the world. He had to, he had to make up for his wrongs. So now it's debt and repayment. Even though God forgave the debt, he still has to act in a manner to remunerate the debt. That's commerce. That's still an act of commerce. But we respect him. We admire him because he, he does appear to be true. The alcoholic. I've known many. Uh, the drug addict. Okay, The day they stop taking drugs and, and they're committed and they're on that trajectory... It's, it's wondrous. It's, it almost does bring one to believe that there might be a divine or a higher power or something when a person who's tremendously self-destructive, poisoning themselves, being cruel and violent and evil, wakes up one morning and they realize, I'm never drinking this again. And their whole personality changes. You know, we tend to love people that are nice to us. And that's, that's how sociopaths can get past our defenses. They start out by love-bombing you too much. Now, some people may do that from, from uh, a lack of assertiveness, even. They might love-bomb to prevent you from harming them, or there might be other motivations and other reasons. Now, Russian Doll wants us to believe... And there's, I mean, nobody is safe in that no one. Everybody is seen to be ruthless and aggressive and self-centered and uh, focused on their own... Uh, no empathy, no compassion. Um, 
that's sort of the personification of, of the latter point of the second decade of the 21st century. It's like, it almost feels like the spirit of New York has been given, given a, a, an avatar. Because we don't live in a Christian world anymore. We don't live in a universe. Most people, even believers, they want to believe they might feel the presence of God. They feel the fellowship of their fellow co-religionists when they go to church or whatever it is. I can pretty well guarantee you that if you pushed them a little bit more, a little bit more, their belief is insincere. They, they are as, as non-theistic as the rest of us who don't adhere to a particular religion where the yearning for spirituality comes from neediness and loneliness, not from the fact that there is such a spiritual being up there that's, that cares for us because people need to be loved. That's, we don't survive if we're unloved. You, the less loved you are, the more likely you're going to die. And then if they say now, loneliness is more deadly than smoking, more deadly than drinking, more deadly than having a bad diet and not exercising. It, it will kill you more surely and directly kill you more effectively than poisoning your body with known carcinogens. And, and these, these are facts. People cut off from, almost like Emil, Emil Durkheim, if you're, if you're cut off from society, if you're unappreciated and unloved and ignored, you'll be, it'll kill you. You'd be dead. We need this for one reason or another. And there, there is a hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy perhaps, and, and different motivations. But all along that ladder, on each rung of that ladder, it's love that fuels us. It's, it's, it's that, that appreciation that allows humans to interact healthily or to prosper themselves. The more loved one is, the less free, fearful Fear negates, negates empathy. Fear negates love. Fear, you know, f- people are fearful when they're habituated to a certain routine. Why? Because they're afraid to break it. Because they're afraid to step out and, and face the consequences that they may end up having to face if they reverse that trajectory. If they're not afraid. If they feel protected. They'll break that. Alan did not have to become a good person. He had to become an assertive one. And it's the same thing for, for Nadia. Her actions, I mean, they're, they're sweeter sometimes. What she's doing is more, more kind, more, more uh, acceptable socially than who she is at the beginning of it. But because she doesn't live in a universe with a loving or a judging God, she knows mathematically, theoretically, philosophically, all she needs to do is negate the ripples caused by her meanness. If she can negate those, other people will make other choices and it'll break her free from that time loop. I have failed, and I have to acknowledge this, and I, I watched it all the way through twice from beginning to end. And I'm, I'm this, this, of course, I'm in accord. I'm trying to be in accord with the spirit of, of Russian Doll. I may have missed... I may have missed something that would argue to the contrary. The only thing that I've missed that would argue to the contrary is her 10-year-old self, the little girl who's kind of tormented and, and her mother's crazy and she thinks she's killed her mother at some point somehow. And I 
cannot understand for the life of me. I cannot understand how meeting her past self and, and trying to, I don't even know what, she doesn't even really do anything for her past self. How interacting with her is part of the key of breaking the t- time trajectory. I don't, I don't think that really fits, and I, I, I don't understand how it's supposed to fit. She goes to meet John's daughter. John was her former lover, who Nadia threw away as carelessly as you throw things away. Uh, and she thinks, well, if I go meet his daughter in that restaurant, that will save me. You know, of course it doesn't. She dies anyway. It's nicer maybe for that moment, the daughter, she gives her that book or whatever it is that inspires her. But it doesn't. She still dies. And at one point, you see that it's not the little girl. It's Nadia herself. It's her past self. And the closer that she comes to herself from the past, the quicker she dies of hemorrhaging. Each time she dies from when she's in proximity to the little girl, her death is caused by, by uh, hemorrhagic, like an aneurysm, something to that effect. I don't understand how that's significant. I don't understand. I get psychoanalytically, I understand that by, in a sense, being more compassionate with that little girl that was also her, liberates her from certain things but that's a common element of psycho psychoanalysis it's not that's not even so much well chris will have to correct me on this i don't think that's even necessarily a primary structure of uh of of the best and the most healing modalities we have in modern psychological work psychology you know but the psychoanalyst would say well you should feel more compassion and because instead we blame ourselves for our mistakes and we are self-tormenting but the psychoanalysts will say, well, if you want to achieve greater health, you have to be compassionate to your past self. You need to be more empathetic and loving and understanding and more forgiving. Yes, these are all good things. These will help you heal. They're good things. But ultimately, that's in, in, in the real world, that's merely changing your habitual emotional responses. It's negating a negative emotional affect and replacing it with a healing, more positive, more open, more, more of a, a warmer affect. It's what, what's what one should do anyway to help get rid of trauma is you first you have to accept that you didn't deserve to be traumatized and nothing you did incurred that trauma and that the person you were when you were traumatized did the best they could with what they had at the time they had it. This is usually, I think, is is the most apparent in childhood trauma, of which I've had massive amounts of it, where you, instead of hating yourself for being too weak to prevent it from happening to you, instead you, you create a mindset that's more accepting, more forgiving of that, of that child, giving that child the benefit of the doubt. They, of course the child had nothing to do with being trapped in that, in that trauma. And it wasn't the child's weakness because they were weak that rendered them vulnerable to that trauma. Because trauma, the brain has an engine for survival. And it survives by avoiding things that can kill you. And it survives by learning from the past mistakes. So you won't inadvertently put yourself in danger, again, of being killed. The 
I mean, I kind of like what are the core, the core desires. What are they? Can I fuck it? Can I kill it? Can I eat it? Can it eat me? I mean, that's it. You know, that's that's the 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 the, the foundation of the brain. Is is built on a very simple, a very simple trajectory, and if you've been through horrific amounts of trauma. That's the first thing they'll try to do to gain control, even as their children. They might try to say, well, if only I'd acted differently, this wouldn't have happened. So-and-so wouldn't have done this if, if I did this, if I did that, if I did... Uh, especially when you're a child, you, you don't understand how little control you really have over people around you or yourself. But as an attempt to construct a way to negate more pain, you have to take responsibility. You have to take it upon yourself. I mean, that's really what destroys people who've suffered tremendous childhood trauma. It's because it's an unfair burden. And it's easier to say, I had no control over that. It wasn't my fault. I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve it. I have to give the, the child I once was the benefit of the doubt. I have to give them compassion. But that doesn't reverse or negate what happened to you. It doesn't, it doesn't bring your ACE score down. It just helps you relate to the damage that was done in a way that's more likely to effectively heal you. And it's less likely to continue to hurt you over and over again. So whatever Nadia went through in her childhood, I don't see it as... I, I mean, she doesn't even, I mean, whatever she does for her past self, which I don't understand that whole hall of mirrors in the maze kind of thing, I don't quite understand how how that interacts. It's I, I understand that it's part of it, but I don't see, you know, how it connects. And so one might say to me, well, she's embraceive of her childhood self, and by being loving towards her childhood self, and then towards her real mother, and then more loving you know, that these things negate these forces. I don't quite understand it. And as for the rest of it, I wanted her to go on this trajectory. You know, I, like I, I think I mentioned in part one of this, I wanted her to have that change. I wanted her to have that arc. So I wasn't unhappy when it happened, but it's a black comedy. And up until the last 30 minutes of the thing, it's driving home the, the, the humor of how unlikable these people are and how at arm's length we have to keep them. We shouldn't have sympathy for them. You black comedies are satirical because they negate your sympathy, because they turn off your willingness to be empathetic with them. That's why it's satire. You're, you're, you're picking out a target and you're tearing it down. The last thing you want when you're trying to tear down an enemy, you don't want sympathy for your enemy. I suppose after the fight's over, if you need to make peace and you haven't killed them all and you've got to live with them, you know, find a way to do it because you'll survive and, and the world will be a, a, a better world with more love and affection in it if you forgive your enemies, if you love your enemies. It's not for no reason that Christianity has such an appeal even now through the idea of love your enemies, do not judge, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. You know, the stuff that's in the gospel. That's all good stuff. That stuff's, you know, that stuff's... But it's, but one doesn't have to be a believer in Christ to behave exactly the same way. 
And in the same manner, I, I don't think Nadia has to be a nicer person to break free of the trajectory she's entrapped in, even though there might be a little bit of a, of a blowback, her habits change a little bit. I don't buy that she went through that arc. I think she did what she had to do to get out of the time loop, as ruthless as it was. And I think the day after we see the final credits, I don't think she's going to be this, you know, flower child, hippie, loving, whatever, Dalai Lama type. Not not the day after. Not when she's woken up for a day for a couple of weeks and is like, hey, wait a minute, I'm not dying every day. Every time I wake up, I'm not dying, you know. And I don't think, I guess in closing, I could probably do a better job with this topic at a later point maybe. I also don't believe the old adage that suffering builds character. I've known a lot of people who've suffered unspeakably. Uh, for some of them, they had good character already. It may be they had to strengthen themselves and be better characters in order to, to comprehend it. But they would have anyway. They already had good character. And yes, you do go through a, a point of evolution. You evolve. You become a more loving being. The more situations you experience, the more empathy you have because you've experienced more situations. But there's this horrible idea that, you know, this on an A-axis, suffering builds character. No, it does not. It, it may appear to, in the same way that Alan appears to be a nice guy who's misunderstood, it's not. Alan is a coward, and he's lacking in assertiveness. Suffering may, may cause uh, the, the humility of the exceptionally poor person, say, the, 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 the gratitude that they seem to have if you give them $5 or what have you. Yeah, that's genuine. But it's also because they don't have the strength to tell you no, you know, whereas another person, if they're stronger and they're in their connection to society and their their monetary security or whatever, maybe I, I get the hell away from me. You know, they, they, they or they made. Yeah, thanks. You know, the 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 removal of the suffering. It doesn't guarantee long term whatever it was that was endearing about that person when they were at the height of their of their troubles that made us want to help them that that blows away and that person will become whatever they were fated to be in relation to that particular suffering maybe they'd be a little more compassionate but i think they'd revert back i think they'd under the influences of, of a healthy world or whatever they might be grateful for their health but it doesn't mean that they're nicer people it doesn't mean that through pain it's not pain, it's, it's the myriad experiences, it's the, the multiplicity of experience that increases empathy. It's not the degree to which you've suffered. That, that means I've known a lot of people that have suffered, they're assholes. And they stop suffering, they're still assholes. Okay, Suffering, there's no direct corollary to the suffering of a person and that person's um, character, that person's well-being or their kindness, whatever it is. And we're supposed to believe that that Alan is made more loving because he's died so many times, and that Nadia is more altruistic because dying so many times taught her a lesson. It, it didn't. It taught her nothing. She just was able to figure out mathematically the way to reverse the trajectory was to act more kind. The world's full of suffering people. 
And instead of being better people, they're worse people. They, they take it out on them. They take out their pain and they lash out at people. As, as often as not, they, they blame other people for causing their, their, their suffering. And they treat them as such. Is that building character? Is that, is that building empathy? It's not. It's, it's building entitlement is what it's building. It's building a sense of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of rage, of jealousy, of envy, of hatred. The suffering is just as likely, if not more likely, to have that result, to warp someone, to twist them, so that even if they're liberated from it, they remain twisted. They, they remain permanently altered. You know, it's, it, it, you can't just make the... Maybe it is true in some people. Suffering bills care. Okay, but I think she's relying on that, on, on our Western drama. You know, our, 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 our impulse for catharsis in, in the West, our impulse for drama in the West is the, the trajectory of a character from bad to good. We usually like those stories where they're redeemed, the fallen anti-hero. That's, a lot of that's from Christianity. It's from the, a Greek, you know, uh, affect. In a non-theistic universe, and that's what Russian Doll is, it's, not, it's a non-theistic. Whatever the maze is, it's not made by a, a designer. That, that maze is made by a lattice of, of forces, like crystals growing. It has nothing to do with, with a, a hand. And it, it doesn't follow, it doesn't convince me either, the, the old adage that, that suffering builds character. That's not enough for me. That's not enough. In the world right now, everybody is suffering. Everyone. Everyone. It's, it's not... It's not suffering that will increase your, your openness to other humans, your affection, your empathy, your, your willingness to give without receipt. It's love that does that, not suffering. It's the negation of fear that does that. If you want, to, if you want people to be less angry and road rage in their cars, whatever, if they're not scared shitless every time they get in their car, I'm guaranteeing you they'd be a better driver. Guaranteeing it, they when they're not terrorized, they're not feeling like something's going to crush them into a, a, a square of metal like a Rubik's cube that once was the size of a car. Uh, you would find, and you know, oh, I can't be late, I can't be late, I can't be late. If if you removed that, people wouldn't be driving as aggressively. They wouldn't be as 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 violent on the roads. It again, you remove the fear. It's not it's not the suffering that evolves a person to a higher state of consciousness. We'll just, even though I know it sounds new agey, that's what we'll call it for now, a higher state of consciousness. And I, I don't buy it. I just don't. Nadia, Nadia is too shallow a character in the opening episodes of this. And it's so, it's so obvious, even to her. She admits as much in, in, through the, the drama, not at the very end, of course. She's invested all of her energy into protecting Alan. But for the most part, even she kind of admits it herself, you know? And part of that, we're, we're to believe that that's an affect because of her bad childhood. She's tough like that to protect this delicate, fragile little little flower that, you know, seems to me Nadia had no reason in her life to ever be afraid of anything, despite her bad childhood. 
she was trapped in a time loop without any God to appeal to. That put the fear of God into you. And it did make her more, uh, you know, there was one, one time around that time loop when she went on a craze, a drug crazed, you know, to hell with this. I'm going to die anyway, right? Just a drug crazed binge. It's, it's the negation of fear. And when Nadia figured out the solution, it was the negation of the fear of not knowing the solution that helped her act more altruistically, not altruism. Not altruism. Not kindness. I don't know how well I've argued this. I feel like I could have argued it a little better, but but if if I'm to accept the the parameters of Russian doll, in the end, I don't buy it. I don't buy her conversion. I don't buy it. Yes, it's if she did it. But I don't think it had a thing to do with an internal revolution of, of her character. So let's see now. This is at... Duration. One hour. Two minutes. Three seconds. Stop. Button. We're going to call that good. It's an hour. This wasn't the most uplifting or humorous of episodes of Rogue Philosopher I've ever dictated into the ether. And to the, those few of you who are listening, which it blows me away that, that you're listening to this. My God. Uh... But I think for the moment, it's the best I can manage at this point. It's been an hour. I need to stop. Um, But in any case, this time we find ourselves in, for a brief time, we're going to have some scary dark things that are going to happen to us in the next few months there's because now they they have the cure for covid they have the vaccines now we're going to see how human ineptitude and human idiocy will cause needless suffering you know but i think there's some truth in the saying that it's darkest before the dawn but i'm not a comedian i can't i against these times i'm not a comedian like uh like uh natasha what's her name is so even though this isn't a comic rendition or a, a, a Russian Doll is a great show, gotta watch it, gotta check it out. Um, but I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy Nadia's religious conversion. But we're we're in a dark time. But in a few months, a few months, if we continue to protect ourselves from the virus, just for a few more months. I mean, I've been I've been sitting in this room for almost 10 months, basically quarantined, under house arrest for almost a year. But if we continue to follow these practices that are protecting us and our families and the ones we care about, and it's a harrowing and fearful time for us. And you'll be able to see for yourself that in some ways people rise to their best selves because they have to to survive, but a lot of people don't. They default to their most miserable, fearful, greedy of, greedy of selves, they don't care who they hurt. The negation of the fear will, will somewhat negate that. Be well. Hope this finds you well and all manner of things will be well. And have no fear. We will meet again under the shadow of the lily. Mm-hmm.